Welcome to Literary Speaking with Crystal Lee Quibell. Literary Speaking is the author's guide to writing and publishing, sharing tips and tricks for aspiring authors. Crystal Lee's expert guests will bring you the latest information on how to write and publish your book into being. Are you ready to tell your story? Here's your host. Welcome to Literary Speaking. I'm your host, Krista Lee Quibel. Today we're talking with best-selling author, Krista Paravani. Krista is the author of Her, a memoir. When Krista Paravani's twin sister, Carol, was raped as a young adult, she veered off the path from her successful work in married life into a deep depression involving drugs and a shocking early death. After Kara's death, Krista had discovered the alarming statistic that when one twin dies, the other has a 50% chance of dying within two years, no matter the cause of death. So although Krista had heavily focused on stopping her sister's downward spiral, now she had to fight to keep herself alive. So in this gripping memoir, Krista details the bond she shared with Kara and how her life changed as a result of her twin sister's death. Her memoir received numerous mentions, such as must-read memoir and publications like Oprah, Vogue, and People. Her writing has also appeared in multiple publications such as Marie Claire, Glamour, Catapult, Salon, The London Times, and The Washington Post, just to name a few. She is currently working as an assistant professor of creative writing at West Virginia University's MFA program. Krista, welcome to the show. Hello. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. No problem. Krista, this is one of the most haunting memoirs I think I've ever read. And I think what Mm -hmm. made it stand out to me was that you included the writing of your sister who had passed away suddenly. And it just seemed like the perfect way to tell this story, having your writing and hers intertwined. Did you plan to do this when you first started writing the book? I did. Um, It's interesting because what happened was um, I was a photographer, actually. Um, I'd spent uh, about a decade of my life taking pictures, and I had um, a career and a life as a photographer. I was a professor of photography, and I had extensively photographed Kara and, um, what happened uh, after she was raped was that um, she was living in Massachusetts and I was living in up, um, New York City at, and doing my studies at Columbia uh, for an MFA in fine arts. And um, I needed to find a way to spend time with my sister and also complete my degree. So <laughs> I um, and she, you know, she was having a very hard time, as you might imagine. Um, she was raped by a stranger. She'd been walking her dog in the woods at the time. Uh, she was afraid to go outside, and she didn't want to get dressed, as so many people do when they're depressed or do not want to do. And um, she let me take her photograph. And uh, the way that I got around um, the fact that she didn't want to get dressed was that I dressed her in these long coats that my mother had given us for Christmas that covered her pajamas and we went out into the woods together and we made portraits and um, it was really the only time that she left the house. But what happened was my sister wanted uh, to be a writer and she was studying writing at that time in her life. And she was uh, a really gifted writer, I'll say. Um, And she started writing about these photographs that we made together. And um, I'd take one and she'd write probably a, a two or three page a response to that photograph and she collected them until she had about 150 pages or so. And, um, that was, was sort of, um, I would say it was, it was a book. Uh, it it was her thesis. She, uh, turned it in as her thesis and, um, 
she actually died two weeks after she turned that in um, wow. in 2006. But um, I, I began the quest to write this book because I felt the need to make a memorial for my sister, which was really not what happened with the final yeah. book, but it's <laughs> <Yeah>. what I <laughs> at all. Um, but I, I had wanted to be a writer too. And I had studied writing as an undergraduate in college and um, we were both very ambitious. Um, we came from a family that didn't really have books in the house and we were the first in our family to go to college, but um, we went to Bard and we both wanted to study writing. And as, as it happens with twins, we were very competitive and Kara made it known quite um, abruptly that everything that ever happened in our lives was her material. And there was just no room in the world for two Paravani writers. (laughs) (laughs) I stepped aside because she seemed quite serious. (laughs) I decided to take pictures, which was really satisfying to me. But what I did have um, after she died was this manuscript that she left. And I found myself searching it for answers. She didn't leave a suicide note. She didn't commit suicide, but you know, she wanted to die, I think, in many ways. And I, I looked through that manuscript of hers for something, something to tell me why, um, what I did wrong. Um, and there were lots of answers there. But um, one thing that I found, um, and it was right before I started writing the book, was um, just this little little note that she left next to uh, one of the photographs that I took. And it said, Dearest C, you can't save the naked on the bloody ground. Please forgive me. Please forgive yourself. It's that simple. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I really, I wept. And um, it felt like she was providing me with a map on how to survive this unsurvivable event because I really did feel like I wasn't going to make it. And, um, It wasn't until 2009, which was three years after Kara died, that I decided in earnest that I was going to try to write her. And um, it was not, this was not the the kind of undertaking where I felt like I had a dramatic story and I wanted to publish this story and nothing was going to stop me. I was really fueled by the art of it, if if that makes sense. And um, part of that was about trying to articulate what it means to be a twin. And the best way that I found to do that was to take Kara's writing and put it beside mine. So the reader could experience twinship in two voices. So they could see where we came together and where we existed apart. And um, I think, I think I was really successful at doing that. Although it was, it was difficult because I did find that what I wanted sometimes to do was to write like my sister would write it (laughs) yes and if I stayed with my tactic that wasn't going to work out because what what needed to happen was that the reader needed to feel like they were in good hands with me the narrator of the story a woman who would survive this gruesome thing and Kara wasn't and I felt like I had to differentiate my prose from hers and um it's funny because my mom when my mom read the book, she the first thing she said to me was, I thought it would be more poetic. 
because Tara was a really poetic writer. You know, yes. maybe if I hadn't set up this task to write against Kara, I, it would have been yes. more poetic. <laughs> I think it worked My well, mom, though, yeah. because it was so even – I mean, I read the book a few years ago for the first time, and I recently listened to the audio book because I just love to hear an author read their work. And it, mm-hmm. you could really – you could really tell, like when you were reading, even there was there was your voice, and then there was, you know, Kara's writing, and and your voice was even different as you read her work. So it was really, really powerful and effective way mm-hmm. of of showing the reader that you're. It's almost like you're the same person, but there are things that differentiate. So, yeah, it was you know her words became sort of like a prayer. I'm an atheist. <laughs> but you know, you you can hear those prayers in your in your head. You know them word for word and I learned her her work word for word and um it haunted me. It haunted me like she haunted me. And um there were times uh while I was writing the book um because I do I do try to talk a bit about our childhood and it turns out that Kara wrote a lot about that. And there was a way in which the trauma of losing my sister sort of eclipsed everything. And I really lost access to my memory of my life. And she, you know, her archive was an amazing resource to me in the way in which I could do a keyword search and she'd almost always written the thing that I couldn't remember. And so we were in dialogue about our lives together as young girls in a way that really did help me reestablish my memory, which was an amazing thing to happen from the process of writing this book. But, you know, also I felt like I wanted a really, you know, the crux of the story to me really is um, my sister's rape. Uh, and I tried to write that scene Uh, and I couldn't do it. And I really thought what was going to have to happen because I could not write that scene. And that was part of the problem, really, between the two of us while she was alive, that I could not understand what had happened to her that day. Um, It really did untwin us. And um, I thought I was going to have to quit. I thought I was not going to be able to finish her because I couldn't write her rape scene. And so I gave up, and uh, that was it. And I decided that weekend that I gave up that I was going to go visit my mom in upstate New York. Um, and my sister died, actually, at my mom's house. And um, I went up to the little apartment that my sister had lived in in my mom's house, which I really didn't do. I didn't like being in that space. Um, but I went in and I sat down on the floor in the front of the bed um, And I was playing with something. I don't know what it was, maybe a pencil or something. And I dropped it. And I went to pick it up and I looked under the bed. And there was this giant sort of Tupperware container filled with all of these journals and um, notebooks that I had never seen. And I pulled it out, the first one on top. And I opened it up and it was my sister's account of the rape. And it was written in third person, which I thought was a really interesting choice um, artistically for Kara to do. But um, she'd written it for the police. And I put it in the book. And it was at that moment that I thought, yes, she is here. And she wants me to do this. 
and any guilt I had over the idea that I might publish her story without her permission was gone. And I felt, I felt fueled by the good knowledge that even though I don't know what happens to us after we die, that I was being looked after in some way. And um, I wrote the book in that kind of good faith. That's amazing. Everyone, you're listening to Literary Speaking with Crystal Lee Quibble, and today we're speaking with author Krista Paravani about her, a memoir. When we come back from the break, we'll discuss more about her shocking discovery, writing and editing process, and what she's working on next. We'll be right back. Your story is begging to be told, but do you know where to start? Crystal Lee Quibell is dedicated to helping you achieve your book publishing dreams. Go to crystalleequibell.com. That's crystalleequibell, Q-U-I-B-E-L-L.com, and sign up for Crystal Lee's newsletter today. Welcome back to Literary Speaking. I'm your host, Crystal Lee Quibel, and we're continuing our conversation today with best-selling author Krista Paravani of the memoir, Her. Krista, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Before the break, we were talking about, you know, how you had found your sister's journals and you intertwined mm-hmm. her writing with your own. And, you know, you really had to write that the rape scene, and you were struggling with it. And here Krista had, or Tara, sorry, Kara had... Mm-hmm written it in third person for the police so you ended up putting that in the book and I mean when I read it I was just like oh my gosh I was right there and it was kind of Mm -hmm. you know it was eerie and haunting but also really made you understand how you know I think a lot of people don't realize what goes through your mind when something like that happens and Mm -hmm. I'm curious for you for you going through this whole writing and editing process were there times where you just found the material too difficult to handle and you had to take a break from it? I never took a break. Writing the book was my obsession. It really was. Um, But it was hard. And uh, one of the things that I get asked um, a lot is if I think that writing memoir is a therapeutic experience. And I really don't think so. (laughs) And I don't. You know, I don't think good memoir is meant to make the writer feel better. Mm-hmm. It might make the reader feel better, and there might be added benefits to the writer, you know, like I yeah. talked about having recovered some memories. But the writing of that material was very hard, and um, yeah. it was painful. And uh, what happens when you write a book, and when it's your first book, when it's any book, you don't write what happens best the first time, which meant doing it again and again and again and editing and reliving this experience, all of these experiences in my life that were very painful. Um, but I knew, I knew that I had uh, my objective was that um, I wanted to tell a story that was universally interesting. I wanted to tell a story that was empowering to women. I wanted to talk about rape in a way that I could not talk about rape when my sister was alive. And um, I kept that in mind as a sort of compass. So when I got lost in grief, I knew I needed to get back on track and that it wasn't about me. A good book is not about the writer. It is about the communion the writer has with the written word. Oh, I love that. love that. Um, so when you so over the process of time, how long did it take you from the time you began the book until it was in a publisher's hands? 
to write? Um, well, I started in the fall of 2009, and I sold the book two years later, and um, I did not write a book proposal. I didn't do any of those sorts of things. I wanted a finished book, so yeah. I, I submitted a finished book to a publisher, and um, I worked on it a, for another year and a half or so, and it was published in 2013, so almost four years. Yeah, it's hard to believe it's been that long because I remember it like it was yesterday. I mean, the writing just stuck with me. Um, it was just such powerful Thank you. prose. Um, Thank you. So when you when you get to the publishing house, you you worked with mm-hmm. an editor, and how did that process work? You know, you've written and you've edited on your own, but now it's in the hands of another editor. How long did that take with that particular editor? Could you maybe share with us a little bit about that? Sure. Well, I were I worked with the irreplaceable Barbara Jones at Henry Holt, who really became a great friend to me and um, it was a relief to have the book in her hands because I felt like I had a companion. She could see things that maybe I couldn't. One of her suggestions right off the bat was that we cut Kara's voice back, which to me felt terrifying because it meant yeah. losing a little bit of her. Mm-hmm. But she but Barbara was right. She, you know, she she almost always had the right touch and it was it was a real it was a real relief to have um a communication about the story outside of my bedroom where i was writing at my little desk <laughs> and <laughs> into somebody's hands who had not lived this story who would help me deliver it in the best way possible wow the you know the cover of your book is this stunning photograph that you took of you and Kara. It's one of the mm-hmm. one in the series. And it's the reason I picked up the book a few years ago and I had to buy it. It just, I think I walked <laughs> through the door of my, we have chapters here in Canada, and I walked through the door and I saw it and I was like, I have to have that book. And uh-huh. so, I mean, I couldn't, even when I was reading, I kept having to flip back and, and sort of look at the two of you. Did you get mm-hmm. to choose the photo that went on the cover or was it? I know, did. Was it a, a pro- oh, nice. I did. I did. I think, you know, it was never, there was never a question that it was, you know, not going to be one of those photographs that I took with my sister. And I had about 25 of them and they're called Kindred. And um, that photograph was um, different than the others for one reason, which it was the only photograph I made of the two of us that was up close, but it was, you know, a a true portrait. And um, that was the reason we, we, we picked it. I mean, we all, we all, the, Barbara and I talked about which one to use, and it just it just seemed like that was a, a photograph that would give the reader an intimate picture of us, so they they would know our faces, that they would understand what they were getting from the book, and um, it was really the only one that I had taken that was that close up. It was a picture I took in my sister's front yard during a blizzard, and it was probably about six feet away from her door. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, I loved it, and the series is beautiful as well. I've gotten to see Thank some you. of the images online, and and Thank I you. just I adored it. You're, you currently are working as an assistant professor at um, West Virginia University for their Master of Fine Arts writing program. What would you say are the advantages of taking an MFA in creative writing for aspiring authors? Well, I, you know, I took one, and I'd already had an MFA. I, I went to Columbia, as I said before, when I was in my early 20s, and when I went to write this book, I decided that I should go get another MFA in writing so I could give myself the time that was required 
and a readership and to find a mentor. And um, I, I think the, really the experience of getting an MFA is invaluable. I suggest a writer goes to an MFA program that is funded. I think that that is um, the smartest thing to do. So a writer isn't investing a huge amount of money. Um, you know, the students in our program are fortunate in that they, they teach courses um, at the university level. They get that kind of experience and they get a stipend. So tuition is free and they're paid. And um, I just, I just feel like three years of uninterrupted time to work on a book, you just, you just cannot replace that. It is a gift to yourself. And also I mean, aside from that, it is, uh, you know, it's an undertaking that engages with the important study of real literature, which I think is uh, really the center of what it means to have a long career as a writer, which is what I'm interested in. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not interested in, I mean, I'm interested in helping my students write one book, but, you know, it's really about instilling the the values of good readership that will cause them and make them have the skills to be able to write book number two and book number three. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Do you have any advice for writers, or what was the best advice you've ever received from another writer? Oh, that is a good question. <laughs> There's so many good pieces of advice I've, I've gotten. Um, you know, obviously, don't give up, but Mm-hmm. I think you you know the best piece of advice I ever got about memoir writing is that your lived life and your narrative life are not the same things. Mm-hmm. So that means that your world on the page, even though you lived that life, is not the same world, and that you have as a writer the power to construct that chapter that book into something that has more significance than the experience itself. And I kept that in mind when I was writing my book. And um, I think that it, it's, it's that quality that can help a book last, that, that causes a reader to keep thinking about it because it's also engaged in the reader's life. It isn't just about you. Mm-hmm. That's so true. Is there anything else that you're currently working on that you want to talk about? Well, um, I am currently in the beginning stages of researching a novel, which is exciting new terrain for me. I had been working on a memoir. I'm about 200 pages into that memoir. It's a story about growing up on a Marine Corps base. Mm -hmm. And um, I put it down for some reason. I just decided that I wanted to work on something else. And um, I've started working on this book about the uh, photographer Julia Margaret Cameron, who uh, is a British photographer who um, had lived in Oxford, England, and had been involved with all of those important members of Oxford society, uh, Lewis Carroll and and the like. And um, her husband was a very wealthy fabrics trader, and she had 11 children. She was alone in the house with them, mostly. And um, when the last child left, they gave her a camera because they were afraid she would be bored. <laughs> and she became one of the most important photographers in the history of photography after that yes. moment at 48 years old. And um, I'm interested in 
in uh, telling a story about female ambition and what happens to that ambition when you become a mother. And um, I, I would like to write about photography again, just not about my life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, her photography kind of... certainly, you know, it's <laughs> so historical and beautiful. I looked up some of the photographs, and um, they're just timeless, you know, in a way. And they're just kind of like looking at a painting. So I think that's usually, to me, signifies some of the best photography is, you know, portrait work. And I just thought it was yeah. beautiful. So I'm really excited oh, I, to see what's next for you. What yeah. What do you think would be the one message you would love for people to take away from, from your book, from her? Uh, I don't know, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm well, to, I think there's such a but, great – there's a, such a – you know, there's this beautiful story about, you know, you and your sister, but there's also, you know, a great way to inform people about the after effects of rape and how it doesn't just affect the person who was raped, it affects everyone around them. It does. And, you know, and it's something that we don't talk about. And even when people come to us and say something happened, we tend to, you know, gloss over it or say, mm-hmm. you know, it was an attack and we don't even want to say mm-hmm. the words. So I think you really did bring a lot of awareness to this and help other people speak out. So I would just I like think to so. thank you for that too. Oh, you are think- welcome. Well, you know, I think the one thing that I would say about the book and that I learned from writing the book and that I, I learned from this experience um, is that your relationship with a person does not end when they die. My relationship with my sister continues, um, and having published this book, it, it has taken on um, a whole other life. I, I always think of my sister and wonder, God, what the heck would she think about this? <laughs> All yeah. of this attention and talking about her on the radio. <laughs> she would love it. She'd love it. <laughs> she, would, she would. She would love it. But you know, the thing is that your experience with a person doesn't doesn't die when they die. And your experience with a person in a book, if you've written about them, does not end when the book is published. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being here today, Krista. I really enjoyed this chat. You Krista are so Paravani welcome. can be found online at kristaparavani.com. Her book, Her, a memoir, can be purchased online and in bookstores near you. Please do make sure you order your copy and leave a great review on Amazon and Goodreads. I promise you won't be disappointed. It is the most haunting memoir I've ever read and has stuck with me through the years. Join us next time on Literary Speaking for more tips and tricks on how to get your work published as we speak with Chris Cole, author of The Body of Chris. Visit com and sign up for my newsletter to receive updates and bonus Q&A material from our guests each week. I'm your host, Crystalie Quibble. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Literary Speaking with your host, Crystal Lee Quibell. To start discovering how you can begin telling your story, go to crystalleequibell.com. That's crystalleequibell, Q-U-I-B-E-L-L.com. And sign up for Crystal Lee's newsletter. Join us again next week for more advice from your favorite authors and publishing professionals.